2: Hello everybody, welcome to Dan Snow's History at Time. I'm recording this from the History Hit Bunker news just in. That whilst a Russian fleet is on manoeuvres off the east coast of England, the heir to the throne and the first Lord of the Treasury, the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, have both got this pandemic disease. Ah, That's a sentence I never thought I'd be speaking, even just a few weeks ago. But there we are. On the podcast this episode, we've got Omid Jalili. He's a wonderful actor, he's a comedian, and he's a writer too. And uh, I'm going to talk to him about his new show, in which he plays about a million different characters himself. And it's all about 19th century Persia, based on a true story. I talked to him about his fascination with history. So many creative people, so many poets, directors, comedians that we've had on the podcast, just are obsessed with history. It's great to see their fellow travellers, and uh, Ahmed is definitely one of them. Lovely, lovely man. Got to reminisce a little bit about him playing the part of the slave trader in Gladiator. Little did I imagine when I watched Gladiator for the first time as a first-year undergrad student in an empty cinema in Oxford, that one day I'd be chatting away to one of the actors in there about the experience. So it's, as ever, such an honour to be on this podcast and talk to these wonderful people. It's also an honour to be involved in history hit TV. It's been strange times because in, in these times of isolation, these times of homeschooling, we've had a huge number of people signing up to History Hit TV. Thank you very much for that. It's all come as a bit of a shock. We're slightly overwhelmed, actually, but we're going to do our best to make sure that we do try and meet the demand for teaching aids, supporting teachers and parents. They try and keep their kids enthused and, and learning through these really difficult times. We're sort of gearing up. <laughs> we're gearing up. You can get history hit tv for free for a month and then another month for just one pound euro or dollar so it's basically just one pound just for the first two months which should hopefully hopefully see us through this crisis if you use the code pod one pod one but when you check out so please go and do that there are hundreds of history documentaries on there we've made we've lined them up by educational tier, so you should be able to see if you'll if you want to get it for your kids you'll be able to hopefully see relevant content for the ages and the stages that they're at and the topics as well so thank you thank you very much lastly I'm very excited that I've got my big collaboration with the world's biggest history YouTube channel Timeline they're they're a fantastic YouTube channel they have lots of documentaries on there for free and we are now doing regular slots on there talking to some of the world's best historians basically doing history hit lives on there so please go to Timeline on YouTube and check out the history hit lives as well in the meantime, everyone, at the end of this week of isolation, I hope we're not all going too crazy at home. I hope things are going well. I hope that the vast majority of people listening to this will, will avoid getting sick. We've had a couple of people on the team get sick. Thankfully, they're looking like they've all recovered really well. And because we stood the team down and isolated them all quite a long time ago. We've played our small part, History Hit's played its small part in in making sure that the disease hasn't spread. For those few of you who are in the middle of it, I hope you get well and I hope you find that listening to History Hit enables you to get to sleep quicker. I'm sure it does. Enjoy Ahmed, everyone. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This is an honour. It's an honour to have comedy royalty
3: here. TV. I, you think know, actually, royalty, I, I think you're actually. I think you're
2: my my, you're my first uh, Gladiator a veteran as well, which is yes. exciting. Yeah. Gladiator,
3: when I famously had uh, my nether regions oh, yes. grabbed by Oliver Reed. He grabbed your balls. That's he right. grabbed my balls. Yes, and uh, he said to me, "Are you a method actor?" I don't know if I've told you that there's a there's a story behind that where um, he said to me, "Are you a method actor?" And I said, "Yeah," because in the original script, he's supposed to punch me. Okay. And th- we had a little conf lab, Reggie Scott always had this cigar. He goes, uh, we're going to cut the um, punch. We want him to grab you. Are you all right with that? And I said, whatever you want, Mr. Scott, whatever. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm just glad to that, be here, buddy. And, he, and Oliver Reed said, we'll, we'll deal with it. And he goes, are you method actor? And I said, I didn't know what it meant. I went, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, do you mind if I really grab you? I said, you "Just I said, grab me. He goes, no, but can, can I go under the tunic? And I said, what do you mean go under the tunic? He goes, just lift up, and i go under the tunic. Make it more realistic. And I said... How would that work? Why would you do that? Because no, the camera won't see it. We'll do a, a close up afterwards, but if you allow me to just come up to me, lift up your tunic, I go under, I grab you, and then you, we'll do the scene up here. Gay giraffes. Yeah, it was all that gay giraffe stuff. And then um, and I did the rehearsal, and I said, is this working? And then Ridley Scott was saying, I didn't know there's was all a trick they were playing on me. And um, he grabbed me and then we they were ready for a take. And he goes, you're right, lift it up. So I come up, I'd say, I said, Proxima, my old friend, lift up my tunic. His hand would go in and, I, and he'd hold me and we'd do the scene and um, they shouted cut after the first thing and then usually you'd have a cup of tea but he carried on holding me in between the takes and this Oh my So I held and I just um <laughs> just asked him, just try to be not nuts. I said, Are You enjoying the hotel? Said, this is fine. And then by take three or four, he started moving me around and I just thought is this a wind up and it was. And was like, <laughs> but you know, in those days, Tony, this is like I could have like taken them to court for for some kind of abuse but I just thought this was all kind of like male lads on tour yeah that's what I thought because they all knew I was a bit scared of him as well I kind of stayed in my room away from when they were all like drinking at night I just (laughs) stayed in my room quietly because he was a real rabble rouser (laughs) I was a bit scared of him but uh, anyway sorry gladiator yes you like lots
2: of you like lots of comedians uh history is a valuable history is a big reservoir
3: for you guys History's is huge for us. Yeah, we we, t- we take history very very seriously. The accuracy of, of history, uh, and we talk about a lot of stand up routines are about what's real, what's not. So yeah,
2: isn't that yeah? Because you know I was watching one about sort of ret- you know returning stolen goods to people that are in the British Museum the day. You're, and your and your current you're, the
3: one you're touring at the moment is about mil- how do we, I never know how to pronounce that, millenarianism. Um, millennial, millennial expectation for yeah, the return yeah. of Christ around yeah. eighteen, between eighteen forty-three and eighteen forty-five. All kinds did, of madness was going on. How did you uh, land on that particular? Well, I'm a Baha'i, and the, the, and the Baha'i faith started around this particular period of time. But I was very interested from a historical point of view that this was something that a lot of people were expecting. There was the, there was the Millerite, the, the Millerites. Um, who were now the Seventh-day Adventists. There was a, and it wasn't just that. It was Christians. I even read that there were kind of Buddhists and Chinese people were like, that the Messiah will come in the West. So they were going from like East to West and all seemed to be congregating in Persia at that time. Whilst at the same time, people were expecting Christ to come on a cloud in the West. that like people would, You know, like the Monty Python sketch. It goes, well, same again tomorrow and all that kind of stuff. So I just was fascinated that actually there was this global fever for this expectation for some kind of momentous thing to happen. And what the play is saying, that something did actually happen, and it's up to people to decide what it was, because it was so tumultuous. 20,000 people killed, there's a lot of executions and craziness, and there were profit figures, and there were people dying for a noble cause. So I wanted to really look into it and see if there's a great one-man show that we can do about it, because it's, it's, it's not even um, a forgotten period of history, because it's all recorded in British history. Um, it's all recorded in The Times newspaper. People were going out, That people like Professor Edward Granville Brown, um, a lot of the um, early suffragettes were hearing these stories, or people who became suffragettes. That there was this faith talking about the equality of men and women and all that, and they got very inspired. So there was this tremendous, I suppose, um, Movement and excitement and inspiration and people going backwards and forwards to the Middle East and coming back and talking about it, and um, it was just a very exciting period. So this is this, this the play captures what was going on then. Well, it, it doesn't seem like the most obvious
2: topic. I mean, how what no. was it about it? Just that, that attracted you? Do, is there is there, do, is, a, is there a modern resonance with whether it's climate or people getting nervous about things like what or Trumpism?
3: What, what yes, I think I think that the. the, the this is a play I did many years ago. It was at the It Edinburgh won Festival. lots of, it won the big award. It won lots of awards and things and, and you know what you you forget about it because I, I always look back at my days as a kind of young actor as someone who just Brilliant. wanted to Well you're still a young actor. I'm still, still a young still actor but young. I just wanted to do fresh original stuff and and it was a uh, a story that I that was it's a story that I was raised with and, and no one had actually put it into a dramatic uh, um any kind of dramatic context and and when we put it together, it was so well received by people who don't know anything about the Baha'i Faith, they don't know anything about this period. And, and we had a lot of scholars come along and said, Yes, that's absolutely right. And, and then when we we did it again in um, at the British Library in 2019, just last year, and there was a bloke who saw it in 1993 and said, Would you do it again? And I said, um, What's it for? He goes, This is for the bicentenary of the birth of one of these prophet figures, for the prophet figures. And he, I said, what do you remember, Barrett? What do you remember? And he said, not much, Matt, to be honest, because I was off my head. I was uh, <laughs> on drinking drugs at the Edinburgh Festival. But he goes, I do remember that you, had, you played this executioner, and this executioner was killing people and talking about it. And I just thought, I just thought, you know, it's time the executioners had their say. Because no one, no one asks an executioner. And I thought that was very interesting. And then he said, uh, I just remember when the executioner then meets the prophet figure, and they have this moment. And there were no words between them. But then the executioner expresses it in a Wicked Bongo solo. I just want to see that again. So we did it again. And all these Oxford Dons and all these kind of historical people came along and said, yes, what you don't know is this. And yes, that was absolutely a- accurate. And then somebody came along who was the great, great, great grandson of the ec- one of the executioners that we're talking about. And he showed us a photograph. And it was a photograph that really affected me because They're saying this particular executioner who was killing all these Barbies and Baha'is, these two people, two groups of people who had espoused this new faith, he was killing them all. And then an event they caught the photograph 10 seconds before an event that changed his life. And they emailed it to me, and I couldn't believe it, because in those days they used to kill these Barbies by um, these, these new people who professed a new faith. They used to put them in front of a cannon and blow them to pieces. So there's a photograph of a guy. And t- this is in Persia. This is in Persia. Yeah, yeah it's in Persia. This the photograph is from 1849. We actually put the photograph in the show now. And there's a credit section. And it's moments before they blow this guy up. And the executioner stood behind as normal. You stand behind the cannon, blow this guy to pieces, and then you pick up the pieces and bring the next one. But apparently, a bit of flesh flew back somehow and hit him on the shoulder and totally affected him. I know this all sounds a bit gory, but he um, then became, uh, he espoused this faith. We understand that he, he then was executed himself. But all his generations espoused this particular faith, and they totally supported this play and totally said, you're absolutely right. And and, and it was other, other scholars, and people. See, people seem to know about this particular character. So since then, I've had a lot of historical validation because, you know, you do a piece and you think, should we just play around with this bit of history? And then ev- every time we've played around with it a little bit, we've actually been proved right. You know, So w- in, in the play, we also have um, a, a, a kind of tea party in, in the 1890s in the home counties where people used to talk about this. And there's a character we, who was called Millicent, who and her is trying to marry her off to somebody. And then we said she's, she's first heard about equality men and women. Maybe we should make her Millicent Fawcett, who was a famous uh, suffragette. And then it was came people from Cambridge came along and said, absolutely right, yes. Millicent Fawcett first heard about this from people who came over talking about this crazy thing that was going on and this this faith that was espousing equality. So, uh, you're absolutely right, that's where she first heard it. In fact, she was supposed to go. She was supposed to go and meet the son of the prophet figure, but just never went. So, so any, any turn that we've done where we've tried to make it a little bit kind of, are we playing around with history, has turned out to be correct. You are like Hilary Mantel.
2: I mean, historians are queuing up, say she's probably right, we're probably wrong. Yeah, 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 exactly. She's (laughs) probably
1: right about Cromwell. Hi, I'm Matt Lewis, historian and host of a new chapter of the Echoes of History podcast. If you're an Assassin's Creed fan, and like me, want to be prepared for the launch of Assassin's Creed Shadows later this year, join us on Echoes of History as we head... To feudal Japan to explore the real-life history that inspired the latest game from this legendary franchise. Learn about Yasuke, the African warrior who entered the trusted circle of Japan's most powerful warlord. Hear accounts of cultures colliding when Portuguese missionaries landed on Japanese shores and follow Japan's journey through years of division and bitter warfare to unification at the dawn of the modern era. Make sure you catch every episode by following Echoes of History, a Ubisoft podcast brought to you by History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: But does it matter? I often ask the actors and the directors I get on here. Like, does it does it matter to you that you are getting that validation from the history side? It of does it? very does much
3: okay. because I I want it to be accurate and I want it to be. If I, you know. Even a film like Gladiator, you know, when you look back, I'm sure a lot of that is. I mean, you know, it's a film when there are helicopter shots of Rome, <laughs> you can see everything. So you know, there's that they're, they're playing around with creativity. You never get a shot like that, but um, but a, a lot of that. I remember working on that, and I remember asking Ridley Scott. So was Commodus killed? And he was saying, Well, some of it is fictitious. We're playing around with it, but we want. To, we, we, it's very clear that we don't want to get nonsense from historians so as long as we keep the basis of it based in truth then we're okay because actually the things that really happen is what the lessons for us in in future generations about what really happened and is it particularly true because you're making a um, show that's
2: about your it's about your identity as well yes it is because you know
3: i was raised in britain i'm a i'm a second generation uh, iranian fifth generation baha'i so my forefathers were kind of traveling troubadours they would travel around they were poets that's why we have poets in the show as well who are based in modern times it's me kind of saying this is me five generations back my family were traveling troubadours where they go around and do their poetry set up a tent and people would give them arms and money and that was it there's like passing a hat around and then they became baha'is and then they went around after their poetry they said look we're going to have a meeting if anybody wants to hear more about this and then they get chased out a lot of people become Baha'is, a lot of people would try and kill them. So um poetry was something that I really wanted to have in the show as part of my heritage. Um but also as a second generation Iranian, I always struggled being raised you know, being raised in the nineteen seventies as you know, an Iranian-looking kid. And I did a lot to kind of make myself look more Iranian. I like was fourteen, I had a moustache, I was already fully developed, I had man boobs when I was like fifteen. And um, I just looked very dark. And there weren't that many Iranian kids around. And also, it would have been OK if they thought I was a Muslim. But I wasn't a Muslim. I was a part of this the Baha'i faith. It was, well, what's that? So there, was a, so there was always confusion around me. And I've always said I'm a minority within a minority, within a minority, within a minority, because I'm a British. I'm not British. I'm Iranian. And even amongst the Iranians, I'm not a Muslim. I'm a Baha'i, so I'm a minority. And even in, within the Baha'i community, People thought my family were weird, and then even within my family, I thought they were all weird. So I'm kind of the kind of levels of cosmic kind of isolation are, are quite deep with me. But but that's why I'm doing this one particular play. Is me, I suppose, struggling to uh, reclaim my identity and really say actually, also from a historical point of view, this is this is a, a period of history which I don't think we've paid enough attention to and the people who did pay attention to it are kind of ignoring it now i mean there was an amazing thing that happened where this prophet figure was was executed excuse me was executed and it was covered in the times newspaper that it was seen as some kind of crazy miracle where in those days they didn't just kill you they they had to bring out like a a regiment of 500 people and they were with bayonets they'd shoot and then the There'd be massive smoke. You have to wait for the smoke to clear. Then you go and pick up the bodies, and they've usually immeshed into each other. They've been hit by so many bullets. And this particular prophet figure, the Barb, was his name, and he was going to be killed with someone with him. And when they shot, and before before it happened, the leader of the regiment, who was a guy called Sam Khan, who was a Christian, went up to him and said, "Look, this is our job, we, don't, we really don't want to do this. Is there anything you can?" Have? And he said to him, "If you're if you're." if your intention is sincere it'll all be taken care of. I went okay and they shot and when the smoke cleared the barb and his they disappeared and there was pandemonium they couldn't find him they found him back in his cell finishing off a conversation with his secretary he said I wasn't finished yet <laughs> it wasn't time for me to die yet like the prophets of God they choose when to die like when Jesus is on the cross it's not like as if they've killed you when Jesus chooses like you can kill me now he wasn't ready then so then that group, that regiment left said well that's that's our sign we're gone. They brought in another regiment of seven hundred and fifty people. now we don't know if we, but what the what the exact miracle was in those days. they used to hold them up by ropes, and apparently the 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 gunshots severed the ropes, so it could be that five hundred people didn't want to do it, and they just lifted up. That could be the miracle, but still that is miraculous kind of miraculous oh, yeah. that they did that um and this was covered in the Times newspaper. There, was some, there were people... Th- this story, by the way, that we talk about in the show, was in the newspapers all the time, a- around 1850s. In fact, I, I did the show in Ireland, and, and, a, and a historian said, if you look at the Ross Common Times, people used to sit down at, you know, for breakfast and say, now what's going on in Persia now in the 1850s? What's happened to the Bab? Has he been killed yet? So it was, it was uh, serialised, and people were talking about it. But it's interesting, nobody has really, no films been made about it, no one. So I'm hoping to start interest with this and, they, and get maybe proper filmmakers and proper historians to really go away and put together and make a film about it, because it could be a, a big Hollywood blockbuster, you never know. Fingers crossed.
2: And I guess the problem is it's an orphan story, because Iran in the theocracy, they, they're not interested in this, this apostasy. Absolutely
3: not. Right. I had Iranians see the show and they were laughing. I said, "Why are you laughing?" It went well, in a good way because this is our this is our heritage. But if you even put the show on, they wouldn't let you perform it. You five minutes in, they'd arrest you. They'd put you in prison because this is not the story that we tell in in history classes. And if we do, it's very distorted. There was there was a mad group of people, and we, they were suppressed. They were all killed off. So that's that's how Iranian people are growing. Up. I went to university when I was at university. Uh, I played for a football team called the Persian Empire. I played for the university football team, but there was a five-a-side league, and I joined up with the other Iranians, and we we, and we got to the final. And, and you know, there's, there's, university, there's a university, there's about 100 teams, so to get to the final, you've got to get through 16 rounds. And we got to the final, and before the final, I got dropped, because they found out I was a Baha'i. They, go, they said, you're a Baha'i? I said, um, yeah. And they were like, what the hell? What, we, we know about you people. And I said, first of all, what's you people? We're all Iranians. They said, And I remember them being really upset. And then before the final, they dropped me from the team because I would joined their team. They were third years and I was a fresher. And they made a decision to drop me from the team. And then they lost in the final. And I'd kind of got them to the final. I'd, I was the one scoring all the goals and everything. So I was, really, I was really shocked and surprised. And then one of them said, I really need to ask you questions about this because you look like a normal bloke. I said, I am a normal bloke. He goes, but the things we've been taught about the Baha'i Faith are abnormal. I said, would you like to tell me? And he said, is it true that, it, and this is the kind of things he was taught, like in your meetings you, you play a kind of blind man's buff game. I said, what's that? And like someone has to put on a blindfold and they walk around and they touch someone on the back. And whoever that is, even if it's your mum, you have to have sex with them there yeah. and then. I said, what are you, yeah. what is that? This sounds that sounds totally I, I believable. Said, I said, that, that is, Where did you hear that? Said, because that's what I was taught at school. I said, you were taught that at school? He goes, this is why, this is after they dropped me, because this is why we dropped you from the team. We, can't, we don't want to be infected by you. And I said, how? He goes, spiritually, if we'd be infected by you, it would actually, we'd probably not get our degrees. We actually made a decision, he's going to jinx it, so let's keep him out of the team. And um, years later, one of them came to my stand-up shows. And I brought him up on stage. And I said, is there something you'd like to tell me? And he said, yes, I do. And I said, I have to explain. We're in a team. I'm a Baha'i. They're Muslims, they dropped me from the team. And uh, I never got to play the final. I'm sure he wants to. He goes, yeah, we dropped you. It it wasn't because you were Baha'i. It was because you're crap. <laughs> and he got the biggest, actually, the biggest laugh I've ever had. I'm not surprised. And I was actually very upset by it, because I had no comeback to it. I said, sit down. I said, up and sit down. I didn't really, didn't really deal with it comedically. So is that because,
2: I've, oft, I've thought of you as a fan, as someone who's able to move, just take up, pick up these identities. I mean, I know lots of comedians try, but you are, you, I think, unique in your ability to just pick up these identities and then just put them down again. Is that a product of, of, of that life, of that journey?
3: Yes, absolutely, because um, you have to understand, at a very um, important part of my life, you know, in the Baha'i Faith, we talk about this 12 to 15 is a very important it's 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 a kind of the the age a lot of people dismiss kids but actually where i come from and the faith i was raised with this is the most you're a sponge and this is really where you form the basis of what your future life is going to be and for me between 12 and 15 we had the islamic revolution was going on on television between 78 and kind of 80 81 and I, I took on different identities with different people at parties. I just said, My name's Chico, I'm from Italy. I just pretended I was something else. So I would speak with a slight Italian accent and had this, I had to create a whole character for myself. Was, yeah, we're from um, we're from um, Sicily, and uh, my family came over, they opened up a pizza. Is yeah. that because you were. I didn't want to be Iranian, I, be I, Iranian. I was hiding. I didn't want to be. And it's not just me, there were a few other. I had a friend of mine called Kishan Minocha who was. Uh, an Indian Baha'i, and he became, um, I think, Patrick something, he, was like, he had a very English name, and he was like a Tory supporter, member of the Tory party, and he became, he, we used to create personas for ourselves in parties where people at school wouldn't see us, so he was Patrick, the member of the Tory party, I was Chico from Sicily, and and, I, and it was a, a role I played on Saturday nights when I'd go out at parties, and people said, oh, do you have to change your name? i said, shut up, don't this is who i am now okay for the next couple of hours don't blow my cover so i think that's probably where i picked up acting skills and uh yeah so i think it was it was a survival thing it was a survival because the impact of a young boy 13 14 where his people are on television smacking their heads and looking like islamic fundamentalists this is not it's not it's not attractive for girls at the time who just thought oh my god a Uranian? Iranian? I said, no, 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 I'm Italian. But it was like the worst thing, so I never had a girlfriend. I was ostracised. I I remember really clearly in a Latin class, these girls were passing bits of paper, <laughs> like, who do you fancy? They were all bored, and I could see it. And one of them said, yeah, and someone put, i like, Omid, and my name was there, and I, was, and I literally my heart was racing. And it wasn't the prettiest girl, but someone said, yeah, are you mad? He's awful. And then she went, yeah, I give it back. And she crossed, <laughs> she crossed it out. I was cancelled. I was cancelled straight. I one girl, culture. one ugly girl thought I was attractive, and then I was cancelled. So
2: you spent your teenage years pretending you were other things, and now you're spending your days pretending that you're, you're visiting your troubadour minstrel grandfather. So I am, yes. You're now and
3: acting yourself. I'm acting myself. I'm acting him, and I'm also... I'm doing 19 characters in this show. It's 19 and it's, and it's, it's not so much even, I don't think I fully uh, pull it off. It was 19 characters and I think it might be a record. I don't know, I'm not sure, I've got to find out. But 19 specific characters, I mean there are a few characters that come in just for like two, three seconds, and, but I've still got to make them quite distinct. Um, so yes, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to capture a, a, a period of time in one hour with 19 characters, having having hidden your past, you now broadcasting it in the most <laughs> unimaginably
2: public way. Do I just while I've got you know, uh, uh, in terms of representation, and we we joked about Gladiator when you were forced to play a kind of cliched North African slave dealer. I mean, have you experienced that in your career? I mean, you know, do you do do you have you been pigeonholed
3: by by your background? Yes. And, okay. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, I used to joke about it. When I when I did the James, there was a James Bond film called The World Is Not Enough. And I was I was joking around on set. They goes, "Are you sure you're being pigeonholed again?" And I said, "Excuse me, I'm I'm known as an Arab's comeback specialist, but in this film, I'm playing the second Azerbaijani oil pipe attendant. That's a major departure Amazing. for me in my career. Central Asian. <laughs> people thought I was mad. I said, like, this is huge.' But actually, it was the same accent, doing exactly the same thing. So it, I think it was. I think there was one film where I played Picasso. Actually, I actually was very happy because I was 36, and I was playing Picasso, age 36. It was a film about the, uh, the Italian painter Modigliani, and it was his relationship with Picasso. It was a film with Andy Garcia. Not again. Not, it wasn't released in Britain. It did very well in America and Europe. For some reason, it was never released in England, um, in Britain. And that was that was interesting. That was the first time somebody just trusted that I could play a, a different character. And I said, Why have you chosen me? Because because your eyes are Picasso. And I looked at Picasso's eyes, and actually the just the eye sockets are pretty similar. <laughs> but the, I remember thinking that they said, you've got to lose weight and you have to shave off your hair. I got some hair on my back. And I remember I did it and I hadn't fully lost the weight. And I was painting with my top off and they said, i to put your shirt back on. <laughs> like, this is not Picasso and it's really awful. So just put your shirt back on. So I didn't fully, again, didn't fully capture the essence of, of Picasso. But it was nice that they trusted me with, with that role.
2: Um, well, I hope everyone trusts you enough to come and watch you. And how do people come and watch the show?
3: I'll be at the Edinburgh Festival at the Pleasance at three fifty p.m. It's exactly one hour because I know. Actually, I'm trying to make it. I've got to shave two minutes off it because it's an hour, but I want to make it fifty eight because people want to go to another show. But it'll be there, and I, and I really hope that. Um, I, I've I've set myself a very difficult thing to do. I'm trying to I'm trying to get the most serious thing ever said in a play, done in the most entertaining way. So there's bongos, there's dancing, there is poetry, and there's a lot of insanity. And I think there's some laughs in it as well. And lots of 19th century judicial murder. So Well, fantastic. also, also you have to, not just that, but you have to suspend your imagination, because I'm playing a few English society ladies, which is a bald- as a Balduranian man with a beard, um, it does require a bit of imagination
2: amazing well i hope everyone goes and watches that
3: but thank you very much